Welcome to the Revelation On Demand podcast, the only eschatology podcast that I know of done by amateur theologians. We are interested in only what the Bible has to say about the end times. I'm your host, J.D. Myers, and I'm joined today as usual by Mr. Chris Hess. How are you doing, Mr. Hess? Hello, sir. I am doing good. How is your morning faring you? I woke up nice, bright, and early, and I'm ready to do this, so... How, how are you doing over at your end? I know that we talked a little bit about the coronavirus issue at your place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my, I live with my folks, and uh, two out of the four people in the house, excluding me, uh, being my folks, were the ones that uh, actually got it. So I was on quarantine for three and a half weeks, I think, because they got it in separate waves. Uh, so last episode, I was actually in, uh, I was in quarantine. So no no movement on that. You're just in quarantine still. Uh no we we got we got approved by the um county where we we're all clear from it now. You know it's been long enough. Yeah yeah and now there's another wave kicking up and that's going to be interesting. But more people around me have been at least exposed. I know of one person who's had it that goes that works at my place, but he's like isolated from the rest of us pretty much but they just got cleared and now he says that the state wants his plasma so that they can research what they did or what you know his antibodies and whatnot so that's interesting have has your parents been contacted by the county wanting their plasma no sir uh and not to get political here but we live in missouri and uh i i I doubt they want to mess with anyone's plasma they have a little more respect for the human body than, um, it, to be fair, than Colorado does in a religious perspective, where they're not going to be asking for, hey, can we replicate you in this matter? Can we test your blood in, uh, in outside of a lab setting and more in a, um, what, what's a better way to put this? Well, from what I understand, when they take your plasma, it's just taking some because I donated plasma in college, so I'm used to doing that. I just don't know if I'd have the time now to go sit in a clinic and donate, especially if you had the label of being a Rona survivor. Uh, could you imagine the hoops you'd have to jump through? I mean, like nothing could happen to you. You wouldn't get the virus again if you have the antibodies, but everyone would like treat you like you're hazardous you know it, it just it'd be so much of a hassle if you ask me and it yeah colorado right yeah and colorado wants wants to be very scientific so that's why they want the plasma because they can study the antibodies in the plasma and hopefully replicate it to help build vaccines that's the whole reason that they're doing stuff like that so oh, okay to be fair I, I i didn't mean i didn't mean that um I guess I'll redact the term respectful. Colorado is an equally respectful state, though. Um, They definitely advance in their sciences, or we um, definitely advance in our social aspects, uh, just simply because we're a more uh, open-minded and religious state. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Colorado is not a specifically religious state. So, um, update on my extra life event: we raised fourteen hundred and forty-five dollars. So, blew my expectations out of the water. Uh, if you're listening to this and you you donated, thank you. If you're listening to this and you're like, this is the first I heard of it, and you want to donate, uh, the fundraiser still runs through the end of the year, so it's still open. You can donate if you want. Thank you so much for anyone who's donated who's listening. And uh, it's just, it's been awesome. And especially during, we had the two events on either side of the election and that was kind of crazy. So uh, I'm just glad that we got through that. And now we have raised this money for Children's Hospital and some kids are going to get treatments that they really need, which I think is awesome. Yeah, praise God. Yeah. And then uh, the election, we're still technically undecided i mean the media is calling it for biden and trump is fighting it and he's kind of nonchalantly fighting it which makes me wonder if he knows something that we don't so the fact that he hasn't conceded and that he doesn't seem worried about it makes me think that he might have something up his sleeve so we'll see how that works out i'm not i'm not 
as a Christian, I don't care which way we go, which, which president we get. It's going to be what God wants it to be, you know? So thank you for reminding happens. me of that. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to hear that. It's, it's all in God's hands. It's whoever he chooses is more of a testament to what he thinks of us than what we think of ourselves, you know? Yes, sir. Lots of flying yeah. colors where I'm at right now. So yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I really haven't seen much difference after they, the media called the election for Joe Biden here. I know that the Trump supporters that I know are very quiet about it. They're like secretly upset about this. They don't really talk about it. I don't, but I don't see people like running around in the streets celebrating like I've heard happening, you know, in some of the major metro, metropolitan areas. So, but again, I live out in the country and the nearest town is not huge. So, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I don't. I live out in the woods, so I, I, I can not necessarily the country, even though we live do live in a, a country themed uh, amusement town. I, for those uh-huh. of you who don't know, I live in Branson, Missouri. For the, those of you who've heard of it, high five. Um, though, where I'm at is out in the woods, and that's it, that's with a fair taste of isolation. So <laughs> maybe not political isolation, uh, believe it or not, but I, I could relate to. Uh, JD being on that. Yeah, no, definitely being out in the country. I don't, I have to watch the news to see what's going on in the city. So with that, how about you give our listeners a recap last episode so that if they didn't hear it, they can catch up at least to where we are today. Yes, sir. So uh, just a quick thing. For those that, uh, well, actually we do get into it. Uh, even in this episode, just a little bit, we're transitioning. So first and foremost, John, uh, John of Patmos, who has been led to have been believed to be the same apostle or disciple as John who followed Jesus. As far as our understanding goes, he could be John of Patmos or that John, we're still deciphering that because there are a multitude of theories around this just to catch you guys up. But uh, he was instructed by God to measure God's temple in heaven. So it could be uh, placed respectfully in um, what, where it would be known as Babylon in the real world. So uh, just a quick note, it's going to be placed in where new, new Jerusalem is. And most people believe that it is going to be where Jerusalem is today. I was going to say that. And I'm glad you corrected me on that. Yes. So this is new temple. That's going to be identical to the one in heaven. Uh, as best as we physically can, John's getting the measurements up there in heaven. And yes, it'll be placed in new Jerusalem where, God's holy temple will be placed as a direct link from us to heaven. That being said, uh, there's some there's some predispositions that we have going on here that are going to lead up to this event, this building. Uh, and actually, where, where I was going with this with Babylon is in the middle of Babylon, which is somewhere in Egypt of what we know, two faithful witnesses are going to be preaching, preaching, preaching. And basically they're going to be rock stars of preachers and witnesses to God. And they actually get killed and then revived and raised into heaven. Does that, does that make sense? So they're going to be, they're going to be transcended to heaven just in the same manner as Jesus did. Uh, and for those of you who've been all caught up, this is when the seventh trumpet finally sounds. Is after these two fate in the after the two witnesses are revived and raised into heaven. Um, and as the seventh trumpet sounds, the veil between the physical and spiritual realm will be broken. Uh, JD, why don't you get into that? You're really good about talking about that. Yeah, yeah. So what what happens is this last trumpet is severing the veil between the physical and the spiritual. So 
when you study near death accounts and and just all the stuff that talks about the spiritual realm in the Bible too, you you get this idea that there is two realms very close to each other that seem to be divided by some barrier that most of us can't parse. Uh, angels seem to have angels and demons seem to have a better time parsing towards art to the physical, and we seem to have a hard time parsing into the spiritual. Uh, we're supposed to use God and his wisdom and knowledge when we're doing that so that we avoid using magic. So what happens is this veil is removed. So this would be angels, demons, humans, all on the same plane at this point. This is the cataclysm that is happening so that God can recreate the heavens and earth in the perfect image that he meant it to be in the first place. So. That's that's what's going on in this last moment in the last scene of last episode, last right. last last. Which during this period of time, by the way, um, this is actually a little bit. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, JD. This is after the initial sounding, which is the um, rapture. This is after some cataclysmic events that were going on during the um, other trumpets sounding before the seventh, which uh, were summoning the four riders, um, death and pestilence, uh, famine, war, and conquest. And it's, a, you know, before summoning those guys and before the a third of the earth is burned, uh, interesting stuff. Yes, definitely. The, the sevens seem to happen at the very end, right before God recreates everything. So this is all the things we studied in the seals, all the things on the trumpets. And, and as we get into the bowls, we'll see again where we have this kind of same pattern where things are kind of happening in the same order again, just more detail on top of what we already learned. So this is very much the, the last scene so now we're going to take a break with this next chapter and we're going to go back out and and get a, a vision a prophecy over god's entire plan so that's what this chapter today is going to be about this is the most people have heard of it the story of the dragon the woman and the child this is the story this is chapter 12 this is where the story comes from this is what we're going over today so i didn't catch anything last episode uh I thought of something and I forgot to write it down. So again, if you guys are, you know, emailing me and, and telling me what you are catching, what you like, what you dislike, I will definitely give credit to anyone who writes in, uh, takes the time to write in and help us with this. So, um, I think I'm getting to the point where I can only see so much. We are finalizing some, some tools that we're going to use to keep this podcast production, and at a, a high quality and we are getting some we're talking to someone about getting music so that we actually have intro and outro music so that should be coming soon uh but i'm i'm kind of getting to the point where i'm not catching things so please if you're listening you have some time please let us know what we might have missed what you want to hear us talk about that'd be great and i could change this section of what we missed last episode to what people are writing in about i would that would be awesome so we can get into scripture if you'd be so kind chris could you read scripture for us yes so today we're on chapter 12 and uh real quick just to add to what jd was saying we are 12 chapters into this a uh, little bit over six months into this and it it'd be very appreciated if we can get some of that um commentary feedback on hey what you guys need to get in on this uh i will definitely get started with revelation chapter 12 Alrighty. a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. 
The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to place prepared to place a prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient scepter, uh, that ancient serpent, excuse me, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word, uh, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great angle, uh, of a great eagle. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, time, times, and time and a half, out of this serpent's reach. Then, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman out the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Amen. I think I'm going to look at getting a different translation because that one seems kind of hard to read. So uh, <laughs> we might we might be going from the NIV to the NASB. So um, interesting. Anyway, well, yeah. I liked it. I liked it. It was just a, a few times there. I had to make sure that my eyes were in check because it's a lot of info condensed. Even though it's it's an essence, it's an essential and direct message, which one could argue is almost simple. But the way that they present it, it's like, hey, I got a really long quotation to present to you. which, mm. And then I got this story that's adding on to the story before. But we have to mm. reveal this prophecy, the quotation, in time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't matter what book you're in. There's just so many levels of meaning that you can you know, dig through. Of course, there's always the, the base level of meaning, and then you have to take it in context and whatnot and do hermeneutics. But uh, I just, there's, the Bible is such a information dense book that you could spend years, and people have spent years studying it. You'll never get everything out of it. So we'll start in with our notes here. And the woman is the first of seven great signs. Uh, she, is symbolic of uh, most women in the Bible are symbolic of like a religious organization or like the church, as you may have heard before, but they also can re resemble false religions. In this case, this is most likely resembling uh, Israel. This is not necessarily someone who's uh, a false religion. This is the, the mother of, of the son who is, as we understand, 
is Jesus. So this is most likely Israel, God's people, who he's chosen, who he's, you know, watching over. And so part of this this prophecy has already taken place, the part with um, where the mother gives birth to the child. So this is the birth of Jesus, and then the child is taken up into heaven, which is God raising Jesus from the dead and then bringing him into heaven. So we've already, you know, passed through part of that. And then there's all sorts of arguments on whether we've been through the rest of this prophecy or not. So uh, I personally don't think we've necessarily gone through this because at the end of this prophecy, we go into the next chapter, which is bringing on the final totality of of all of recreation. So I feel like this is kind of, we're in a midpoint here. And we come to this, we've, we've mentioned this before, this kind of how does God explain to us time when he's outside of it and we're inside of time. So you get this this very... When God says a day or says days or times or, you know, what does that mean? Because the way God understands time and the way we understand time are two very different things. It'd be like us trying to explain to a 2D, uh, say say you made a sentient being who is two dimensions. How do you explain to that sentient being who's in two dimensions what a third dimension is like when all he knows is two dimensions? I don't know how that would work, honestly, but it's just that kind of idea. How does God explain time to people who are stuck inside of it? You know what I mean? That being said, I have a quick question for you. So we did we did obviously talk about uh, Satan's descent from heaven, and we're going to get into the dragon in here in a sec, which does coincide with that. Right. Uh, yeah. But are you saying that um, a little bit ago you were saying something along the lines that Israel was an actual physical being? Could you elaborate on that? Oh, I'm just saying that the woman in this story is representing all of Israel because when they use um, um, symbolic women imagery, they you have like the temptress and the the false religion leader, and then you have. Jerusalem, who's often characterized as a woman, and then the bride of Christ is always the church is always characterized as a woman. So I'm not saying that Jerusalem is a person. I'm saying that this person is representing Jerusalem in uh-huh. the time that the woman is is in labor and having trouble with this this birth and crying out in pain is that time right before Jesus came to the world where Jerusalem was under lock and key by the Roman Empire and they were struggling with so much during that time period when Jesus was first born and came into this world. So that's that's what it's talking about there. It's very symbolic. I mean, we kind of it's funny in the book of Revelation we jump between literal and symbolic a lot. So we get this kind of hard it's hard to keep in mind, that's why we're taking it chapter by chapter because almost every chapter needs to be interpreted a little bit differently. Because is it just straight imagery prophecy where God is showing a representation of what's to happen, or is he showing John exactly what's happening and John is just telling us what he sees? Sequentially, so, yeah. See, I, I agree with that. I, I, I So far, I haven't been able to take everything sequentially or in direct order, except for, you know, sometimes when they have to be like, okay, well, like earlier when we were getting into the trumpets or uh, at the very beginning of Revelation, where we were getting into uh, the seven stars and the seven churches, like that was sequential from one chapter to the next, they had to explain all seven churches or um, the first of ever so many steps, but we definitely do take breaks in the middle of that. And um, it's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I'm just going to jot down everything I see and make sure you uh, get the info on this too. Right. From John's perspective, I guess. I mean, he definitely wanted this to be something that would be revealed to other people's and, you know, human eyes, uh, but we'll get into that later too. Uh, okay, yeah, so the yeah. dragon, the dragon. We're we're talking about the dragon next, and I'd I'd really like yes. to hear what you you'd like to say about it because he, uh, JD oftenly refers or often refers to sin itself being not only this dragon, but a dragon. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I often talk, I love dragons. I'm just going to put that out there right now. I am a fan of dragon mythology and lore and all that stuff. I used to have this um, dragonology book when I was a kid. I still have it, in fact, and I can't wait to share it with my boy. Uh, just, I love the idea of dragons, and, and the reason is is that they are this symbolic apex predator of humanity. This is a bird, cat, um, wolf, animal. This is the apex predator of humans. If a dragon was real, it would be something humans would really have to deal with. And if you look at any mythology and stuff like that, you very quickly realize why these dragons are so powerful. And if you're a fan of Jordan Peterson, you know where I'm going with this. These dragons are fierce we hunt them and we take their gold. They are a representation of chaos and knowledge and we hunt them to better ourselves, to enrich ourselves. So like small this dragon. Yeah. So this dragon is representative of, of Satan and often all the chaos and evil that is, you know, attributed to Satan. So I, I have this kind of theory where there's, there's many little dragons around and as Jordan Peterson says, you have to deal with your dragons or they become house-sized dragons. So we, we get this idea in, this, in the story that this dragon is representative of this empire that has, is kind of like a global empire. It has ten heads for the ten original empires in the world at the time when John was writing this. And then the seven crowns is the seven who have still remained after. So you may be wondering why there is seven crowns, but 10 heads. That's why it's three of the empires, original empires that I was talking about have been subverted into the rest. And this, this, this dragon is the world order. This is a, a, a disastrous empire that is taken over totalitarian control. That's, that's the idea where this dragon is coming from. It's also representative of Satan himself. Uh, this is often where I think, because Satan was an angel before he fell, I believe he might have been on the level of the cherubim or the seraphim. So uh, the seraphim are, are serpentine-like angels, so he could very well... I mean, the seraphim could literally be dragons, for all we know. We only have, you know broken depictions in the Bible of them. So before he fell, he was one of these these highest angels in the order of heaven. And so now we see him as this terrible dragon that's come to, to rule over the earth. And as we know, Satan wants God's power. He wants to be God. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to, you know, be the creator of the universe. He wants to be the the ruler over all of creation. As we know, that's impossible. Satan will not get away with this, and God, of course, is just not going to let him do this. So we get into the stars that he draws out of heaven. Uh, other places we hear that a third of the angels have fallen with Satan. This is more likely representative of the angels who went with Satan during the time of the battle. Now, this is one thing that I'm not quite sure on. If you read this story, since it's part done and part not done, it's hard to tell where we are if the battle in heaven has taken place or not. Now, that happens before the child is taken up to heaven, but again, we get into this thing where not everything is chronological in the Bible, so has the battle in heaven happened yet or not? I don't know. So, if it hasn't happened, Satan has still has um, access to the throne room of God where he can accuse us in front of God, much like in the passage of Job, where Satan is literally talking to God and saying, he's not as good as you think he is. And God's like, I know he's better than you think he is. So go ahead and torment him all you can. I'll prove you wrong sort of thing. So I don't know where we are in that. It's hard to kind of put it together, especially since, again, you know, the chronologics don't line up. Well, so, to argue, to, not necessarily to argue with you. I, based off of what I was reading there, um, 
it, it almost seems like this battle in heaven was actually when uh, Lucifer or Satan had challenged God in the mm-hmm. very beginning because of the way that it chronologically says. True. Um, yes. Uh, okay, so right as we get into... Yes, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Um, if you go back up there, it, it gets into uh, how we have this guy who misleads all of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And um, that might not have been the best quotation place, but uh, bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, basically, what I'm trying to convey is Satan had initially challenged god when he wanted to overthrow his authority and Uh had determined that he was going to be an independent force all the way back in genesis right right so this has probably already happened the war in heaven and of course there's there's going to be a great world ending war too so i mean book ended by wars uh so yeah, you're probably right that he's already been cast down from heaven, and that's why we have to deal with him the way we have to deal with him today, you know? Yes, sir. And uh, also, to what you were just saying, too, what I agree with, though, is that there are going to be more angels that do fall with him additionally and are under Satan's control when they do that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've heard places where well right here it says a third of the stars false like a third of the holy order of angels went with with uh satan which is probably because he was one of these highest order and angels that had a lot of influence over other angels and angels are free will beings like us that can be they can make their own choices so they can choose to follow god or follow satan and so, and of course, that's the choice for them. It's not like us where we can follow God or not follow God, uh, where we don't have this reality right in front of us like they do. So they get to make the choice between the most high God and uh, Satan, who does all sorts of things. And, and if I go any longer on this, we will start talking about other gods and what they really are. And because <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into the spiritual realm. So maybe we'll leave this for another, we'll put a, the stake marker in this and uh, come back to that another day. <laughs> uh, so we, we get into the next sign, which is the child, which we've talked about already. This is Jesus. It's clearly um, Jesus coming into this world. And then uh, since again, this time is, this isn't necessarily chronologically in order. He was here. He had a life. He died for us on the cross and paid for our sins. He revived. He was revived and taken up to heaven. So this is where the child is taken up to heaven, and then begins the tribulation. And as you can see, there's a there's a brief pause between when the child is taken up to heaven and when the woman flees into the wilderness for the time times in half a time which is specifically referenced to three and a half years, which would be half of the seven years of tribulation period. So Hmm. that kind of says to me that we're not there yet. And this time, this breath is, is indicative to me that maybe we haven't done that. Maybe we're in the tribulation already. Maybe it's not till 2060. Like I constantly joke or 2053 as I constantly joke, is my numbers prediction. Um, but there, this breath tells me that we are in this breath. So the end times are to come. Uh, my pastor believes that we are closer to the end times than we're not. I think that we're probably not. But again, it changes week to week on this podcast because I read one thing that makes it sound like, oh, this is happening right now. And then I read another thing. I was like, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. So I'm kind of in this place where I'm waffling between how close are we to the end times. So uh, as she flees. So we are in the time that, do you have something to add? I was just going to say, keep on your toes, buddy. It it just gets better and better. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'll be waffling the entirety of this podcast. I don't think I'll ever land firmly in one camp, which is why I'm entertaining the idea of guests who may be, you know, more firmly in one camp or the other. And 
then I can actually pick people's brains on it, you know, which was just something we're entertaining as the idea of guests. Um, yeah. And, and not to divert, I think that's God's plan for you, maybe to stay, um, not indecisive, but, um, explorative. That's yeah. And I think, part. I think staying in that, that place keeps you open to the text, uh, not to cast any doubt on anyone, but when you, this is why I don't take any titles like Baptist or uh, was it post-millennial or ah, millennial or any of those titles that come with theological study. I don't like those titles. You're welcome to call me whatever you think, as long as it's not late for dinner. Um, <laughs> cause I'm never late for dinner, but, um, crazy. <laughs> you're funny. Uh, but no, uh, just, I don't like these titles. I don't like being pigeonholed into any one title. So I just tried to stay a biblical Christian. So when I run into a problem in the text, I try to see if there's any, you know, referencing texts that I can look to, to see that would might explain a little more on what I'm seeing here. So that's kind of where we are. This eschatology podcast is not going to take a firm stance or it, it'll take as firm a stance as it can just with what the Bible says and what research we pull up. So I know that research is going to be biased because they all come from different points of view, but that's why I try and cycle through reading different uh, guys like post-millennial and amillennial and pre-millennial. And then you have the trips guys and all that stuff. And I don't like getting into those titles. So we'll, we'll just leave it there. So we are in the time that Jesus has ascended to heaven. Uh, like I said, oh no, I already talked about all that. Uh, We're at the woman flees. Yeah, I know, but I already talked about what the woman fleeing means. Oh, yes, sir, you did. So actually, oh, ooh, yes. we're going to dive into the heavenly an, war, aren't we? Hold on, there's there's a point here that I did miss. Uh, oh. the, the, there's, uh, so there, there's this place that was prepared for her. And some people believe that is a, a town called Petra, which is south of the Dead Sea. And apparently there's Christian businessmen who are preparing, you know, like food and bunkers and scripture in a place, this place called Petra, which is this, this stone city south of the Dead Sea. So interesting point. Uh, if the end of the world happens, there might be survival bunkers in Petra if you're anywhere close. Because I don't think I'm going to make it across the sea if the world ends. Um, yes, then we'll dig, we'll dig into the heavenly world where we talk more about the war between Satan and Michael, which is interesting. Here we get into this this time when people start confusing Michael for Jesus, and it clearly says the archangel Michael, and there's times when the angel Michael and Jesus are in the same scene. So I don't, I don't, he is his own entity. He's an entity much like Satan. Uh, Michael and Satan are more equals than Satan is to God. So this is one of those things where uh, popular culture gets this wrong. Satan is not equal to God. He is not even close to being equal with God. He is just this powerful angel who has fallen and who tries to get us to not follow God, which is his entire goal is to frustrate God's plans by pulling us away from God, which we've seen in Jesus's story where he even was trying to get Jesus himself to, you know, walk away from God. And of course, Jesus is perfect. So he'll just, you know, be gone, Satan. And that doesn't work. Uh, and we also have that, that scene where the dragon is standing ready to devour the child and then God takes it up to heaven. That is most definitely the crucifixion and resurrection. Satan was leading the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Romans to the point where he was going to crucify Jesus because he knew he could recognize the demons always recognized Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew he was, he had come to fulfill the prophecy. He didn't know how that was going to happen. So he thought by crucifying Jesus and killing him, he would frustrate God's plans. Little did he know, he was playing right into God's hands, and he did exactly what God wanted him to do anyways. So when he realized that, that's when all hell broke loose, and the temple was rendered, and all sorts of interesting things that happened right there at the crucifixion. And that's probably when Satan realized his mistake, and uh, 
then decided that he was going to find more subversive ways to get to us and get us to not follow God. So, there's not a place in heaven for him. This is uh, where I said that Satan could even go to heaven. So this is the, I'm not sure he's kicked out of heaven during the heavenly war. So uh, again, this is where, yeah, no. And this is, he's, he's, he has many falls and we'll get into this in a minute, but this is where we have this. Is it chronological or not? Or exactly how much access does he have to God? Or does he have a phone line to God? Or, you know, what is that like? Because if this heavenly war took place before the time that he accused Job of not being as, uh, as being as devout as he thought he was and he could turn him astray, this Which is probably did. going back to what? Which he did temporarily. Yeah, I know. And and so when we think about it, the heavenly war happened before he accused Job of not being that great. But maybe in heaven, the time again, we we have trouble understanding this. What what happens before and after might not necessarily matter in heaven. It's a timeless place. It's it's beyond time. So when we get into this this confusion, I think that's where it stems from is that nothing happens in timeless time that makes sense in time. If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> well, that actually depends on who you talk to because there are many who believe that um, needless to say that heaven is actually completely concurrent with our current times and only is uh, reactive in the sense that it is, it, it exists at the same time as us. Depends on who you talk to. Some people would say that, um, that everlasting time, uh, everlasting time is is no doubt not an argument usually. Um, but the uh, backwards and forwards, it's timeless. Uh, it, if you go to a certain point in the Bible, it directly coincides with the later point in the Bible where like, oh, but if you went into the past and also considered it to transition to the present, stuff like that. I'm, I'm going to throw this out to the Doctor Who people and just be like, time is a wibbly wobbly, timey wimey ball of yarn or something like that. I don't know. Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a geek. So anyway, yeah, right. So uh, Satan was cast out. Uh, we have all Satan titles connected in one thing, the devil, the Satan, the dragon. We have all this. This is our, our tying up point of where his titles show up earlier. The serpent, the blah, blah, blah. You know, these you read it. So this is his second fall. So the first one was from glorified to profane. And we see this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28, actually. I don't have time to go over all this. This is, again, one of those places where we will dive deeper into this. We will do just like Satan's Fall episode. So, someday. Uh, then, from having access to heaven, which, again, as I've said, Job 1, uh, 1 Kings 22, and Zechariah 3. And then, here we have it here again set out as the heavenly war and him cast from heaven in revelation 12 and then from earth to a bondage in the bottomless pit for a thousand years we will go over that in revelation 20 and then from the pit to the lake of fire again we will go over that in revelation 20 so mm. this is just one of satan's many falls from god which culminates in his absolute you know disconnection from god so the joyful declaration, uh, this loud voice that's raised is obviously a follower because he says our brethren accused by Satan, not uh, my children or my followers. So this is someone who's been, who's in heaven, who's been glorified, who's been lifted up, that is, you know, proclaiming his joy that Satan has been cast, cast down, probably, you know, leading to a battle cry from the angels, you know, you, you just won the war. Of course, you're going to be happy. So Satan loses power to accuse humanity of its sins during this time. So this is most likely uh, in reference to the end times when G uh, God is about to bring everything back together. Satan can't accuse us of our sins in front of him anymore. Uh, our son sins have been overcome by the blood of Jesus and we are not beholden to deserve punishment anymore. So this is getting more into our final point. 
of the day, which our sins have been paid for, if we accept Christ, of course, by the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then Satan attacks the woman. This woman is, again, the representative of Israel, uh, and Satan believes by getting rid of them, he can thwart God's plan, which, as we've seen before in the crucifixion, uh, the crucifixion, sorry, that it doesn't matter what Satan does, he's not going to be able to frustrate God's plans. And then the dragon flood, the flood that the dragon makes, is kind of the halfway point of this. This is where the 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 three and a half years start. This is where the woman is going to the oh. the prepared place. So, uh, and then God uses the earth to swallow up that flood and prevent it from destroying the woman. So, again, this is showing God as so in charge of everything that he can frustrate anyone's plans, especially Satan's. So, dragon's wrath for God's people. Once Satan cannot turn any more from God, he will turn on the believers' bodies and their souls. As we've seen with the witnesses, he he was making the people enraged against these people and, and fight them and then kill them ultimately. And then God has the last word and they are raised and glorified. And again, Satan can't fulfill his ultimate plans because God's ultimate plans come over his. And we see Christians throughout history who suffered torture and persecution in Christ's name, much in the same way where Satan gets a hold of these powers, uh, Nazi Germany, Malice, China, all over the world. I mean, just Satan gets his hold into people and they start persecuting and torturing people, especially when it comes to the name of Christ. So many Christians have died and been tortured and been just brutally savaged for Christ's name because they refused to to relinquish that. And Honestly, I see that as something I hope I never have to go through, but if I have to, I have those examples where this is how they they followed Christ under pressure and persecution and their bodies were damaged, but it doesn't matter because we are souls within bodies. So we we can suffer anything through Christ and uh we did this this study on Richard Rembrandt, he was a Polish man who went through Russian occupation in the Cold War, and he was just tortured for his belief in Christ. And that's one of the examples. And there's many examples throughout history of Christians who have, you know, and you can pick up many books on this. And I would highly suggest if you haven't read to this day. uh, Yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't just argue throughout history. Uh, I would say that it's been something since, you know, the day we started. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's still going on today. Like you said, there's Christians persecuted all over the world. There's people who can't openly, especially in China, there's people who can't openly worship God. They can't preach God. They can't They can't openly be Christians. Otherwise, they will be fined. They will be locked up. They will be tortured. They will be re-educated until they finally renounce and the whole idea is that no matter what happens, we are to stay firm in Christ, and he will stay firm in us. Mm-hmm. Anything? Any other questions you might come up with while we're going through this? Uh, no. Uh, it, you, you helped explain everything for the dragon for me. I, I was able to follow it pretty well when I read it um, before and just now. But actually, taking that um, in a um, the, the prophetical, taking an ancient prophecy and actually putting it into modern words, I think not only helps me, but as well as audience members who might be trying to get to the, the simplified message of it, because there definitely are these complicated points. Um, not to say that life itself isn't complicated, but there's definitely complicated and uh difficult to comprehend sections of the Bible where you're like, I could use some help from this. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. So today's takeaway. If we are reborn, we are pure spirits residing in sinful bodies. Whenever we struggle with sin, we shouldn't think of that as a sign of us not being saved. Instead, we should take it as a sign we need to reach out to God as he has the power to keep us from sin. All we have to do is ask him to help us. So stay stay firm. We all struggle with sin. Even if we are reborn, we are not made perfect again. But when we do sin, when we struggle with sin, that is our opportunity to reach out to God and ask him to help us through this. So, And stay out there. Stay strong. Love your neighbor. Love your, love your enemy, even. Especially in these days where we have all the turmoil of the election and it not being called or it being called or whatever, you know. And apparently there's a lot of stress between people who voted differently right now. I don't understand it. I voted a certain way. I don't judge anyone necessarily for voting a certain way opposite of me. But let's just let's try and be Christians first before we are any political party. And that's that's honestly what we're called to do as Christians is be loving and kind that's how we should be set apart so yes and uh to reiterate on that too um there's something i've been wanting to get off my chest with exactly what you were just saying we are called to be christians first uh however that doesn't mean that you're completely exempt from the situation that you're in so what what i mean to say by that is um do we believe in a higher power? Yes. Is that higher power real? Uh, darn right. If you ask any of us, uh, though, I should say that a lot of us are taking the glorification process a little bit too highly sometimes. And it's like, stay, stay your ground. But there's definitely sometimes where it's like used as an attacking point. We, we don't need to be attacking each other over the fact that, well, you know, political parties like JD was saying, or the fact that I might be a stronger Christian than you. I feel like we're called to this to help each other, not to attack each other. Right, right, and that's that's a wonderful thing to leave on is is a sense of working together to help everyone get closer to Christ. That is that is the essence of the Great Commission is not only bringing unbelievers and fallen believers to Christ, but helping Christ followers, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ walk with Him. That's why we need each other. It doesn't matter how you voted. I mean, you can make arguments all day, one way or the other, of principles and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, we are Christians. We are here to help each other follow Christ. And that's what we need to do. Yes. It's a tremendous thing just to just to begin with something or just to take that step. Um Good or bad, it's it's going to make an influence. So try to stick with the good. Absolutely. All right. Want me to put a bow on this? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch your podcast from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at any time at revelationondemand at gmail.com. You'll find that in the show notes. God bless, and see you next time.